Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold. Part of that sentence, we're going to have a fantastic hour. You're going to love this hour coming up. Um, Gary Thomas is going to get us started. He's written a book called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. So hmm, you might be thinking, what's the difference between a toxic person and maybe just someone who's a little bit of a pain? We're going to find out how to find refuge in God when you feel under attack and discernment when to walk away from a toxic situation. I can't wait to get things started with Gary, and uh, we're going to open up the the text line as well, because you probably know or are in one or have one, a toxic relationship, and maybe you don't know when to walk away, and you've got a question. So I'm sure Gary will take it. You know, people live in difficult relationships all the time. You know, just over the weekend, I was reading, and of course, the Beatles, you know, the greatest band ever, they had a very toxic relationship amongst each other. And I was uh, reading about their very first album called Please Please Me, and it it was uh, recorded in three days. But they wrote 10 of the 14 songs. They recorded 10 of the 14 songs in one day. Talk about a good day's work. And, of course, that album catapulted to the top of the charts for 30 weeks. Not a bad day's work, but they had trouble getting along. It's just sad, sad. Anyway, let's take a break, and we'll bring on Gary. Just think, next month, we'll be living in the roaring 20s. It's fun to think about for a bit, but as you listen to Faith Radio, you'll find the building blocks of faith to give you hope and a future. It's never too early to turn to God, get in His Word, visit with Him in prayer, listen to wise teachers, and reach out in love. Your past is past. You can be new, but one thing that might be the same, the 20s, they'll roar. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. In the midst of the hardest seasons, Faith Radio is committed to pointing you back to Jesus. Even when it feels like my world is shaking, even when I've had all that I can take, I know you never let me go. Whoa. And even when the waters won't stop rising, even when I'm caught in the dead of night, I know. In it together, Faith Radio. Gary Thomas is my guest. He wrote Sacred Marriage. Maybe you have a copy of that on your bookshelf, among other books. He is a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston. He has spoken in 49 states and 10 countries and has appeared on a number of TV shows uh, and radio programs. And now he's on our show. So awfully glad to have you on board, Gary. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, 49 states. Which one haven't you been to? 
South Dakota. <laughs> well, and, and, and there's been some people from there that have talked to me about it. My wife has said, no, you shouldn't go because it sounds so much more authentic when you just say 49 instead of 50. That does. It's so true. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, people in, in South Dakota are listening today, so you've got to be really nice to them. Really nice. Okay. And then you're at uh, Second Baptist Church. Is that um, a little bit not as good as First Baptist? Well, there was a big dispute about 80 years ago over, I believe it was playing cards and dancing. <laughs> and um, so that created two Baptist churches in Houston, which now they're both doing very fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to live in Houston, so I went to uh, First Presbyterian when I was there. <laughs> anyway, uh, cool book. And boy, this is a topic everybody wants to know more about. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it was revolutionary for me just to come across the whole idea. In, in many ways, I'll be honest, I, I felt like I had just had blinders on when reading the Scripture until it was unlocked, how often Jesus and the disciples not only walked away from people themselves, but urged others to do the same. Mm, really interesting. Now, let's. I want to get back to that, but let's start just talking about what's the difference between a, a toxic person and just someone who might be a little bit of a pain. Yeah, that's a great question. Every toxic person is difficult. Not every difficult person is toxic. When I'm using the label toxic, I'm referring to somebody that's actually not just frustrating, but they're trying to hurt you. They're basically the kind of people that's taking a piece out of you. Uh, maybe an analogy, if you have a tray, you want to feed food. I mean, that's, that's what we all do. We want to serve. We want to give our gifts to, that God has given us to others. So you have a tray of food there. The difficult person might come and clear off the whole tray and put it in their own bag. The toxic person will say, well, that's not enough. Why don't you cut off your arm and let me chew on that? So uh, they're controlling you to keep you from other relationships. They're haunting you so that you're not free for other relationships. They might be undercutting your joy, your peace, your self-confidence, so you feel like you have nothing left to give. So when you notice that somebody isn't just frustrating you or slowing you down, but, but literally destroying who you are and what God has called you to do, for you, I believe that person has become not just difficult, but toxic. That's a great answer. We could, we could stop the interview right now, and I'd be happy. And this is solid yeah. stuff. So that was really a yeah. great explanation. I, re- I really, really like that. So um, let's get back now to Jesus uh, instructing people to walk away. Yeah, well, this is what opened up my eyes, because I, I had my own issue in a toxic situation, and I was talking to a counselor, and I just said, I don't know how to say, I don't know how to get through, I don't realize what's going on. And it was his comment, Gary, I recommended you not engage him at all, that took me caught me short. What do you mean? Because it felt like that would be a failure. He said, go to the book of Luke, count how many times Jesus walked away from people or let other people walk away from him. And I went to all four Gospels, counted 41 separate citations. Now, because of the Synoptic Gospels, some of those refer to the same instances, but there's still a couple dozen occasions where Jesus' interaction with someone resulted in a separation. They weren't all toxic, but many of them were. When people were just hard-hearted or they're trying to do Jesus harm and, and he would slip out and go away. And then Jesus telling us to do the same. In Matthew six thirty three, he tells all of us to go on, on offense when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. But in Matthew 7, 6, just a very few verses later, that's when he says, but you also have to play defense when he says, don't give what is holy to dogs 
or throw your pearls before swine, or else they will turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus is saying, be free and share, make spreading God's word the aim of your life. But as you go out, know that some people not only won't receive it, not only will they not just resent it, they'll attack you and try to tear you to pieces. And Jesus is explicitly saying, I don't want you to have to face that. So learn to be wise about who you share this good news with. All right, Gary, this is, uh, this is good, really good. And I'm wondering how many listeners right now, are their ears have just become red hot with, tell me this again. I mean, give me permission to actually do this because people feel stuck. I mean, I just had a listener uh, ask, I've been in an abusive, toxic relationship. Now it's in, also yeah. in addiction, too. So it's a meth addict and alcoholic, which makes his anger yeah. and rage worse. How do you let go when you know this monster he has become isn't him? It's, it's, it's his addiction. It's so hard. I know he's a good person, but his addiction has taken over. I don't deserve the abuse, but it's hard to let go. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of misplaced guilt has kept Christians in really unhealthy situations, and it's it's taken us away from many positive interactions and much ministry that we could have otherwise. In fact, I do think that's one of Satan's most cleverest attacks against the church. He knows he can't stop us from caring and wanting to serve and help others, because God's Spirit makes us love and want to care and want to help. But if he can get us to pour that love and care down the gutter of toxic people rather than out to a field where it's going to produce a great crop, that's what he's going to try to get us to do. So the analogy I would give that person who asked you that question is that of a lifeguard. One of the first lessons they teach lifeguards is how to defend themselves. Because when you go out to help a drowning person, they'll often at panic and try to bring you down. Mm. And and the whole key is if you drown with them, nobody is saved, and then all the people you could save won't be saved. So you have to learn self-defense even when you're helping, hurting, challenging people, and not to own their response. Uh, One of the things that shocked me, just as I was doing the research for this, going through the scriptures and whatnot, is how uncontrolling God is and how uncontrolling we're supposed to be. We speak the truth as Jesus did and as Paul did, but if people won't receive it, we've got to let them go. To try to control them is evil. That's what Satan does. God gives us the choice, speaks the truth. So we don't want to become toxic ourselves in trying to control a person, even when that person might be doing something to harm themselves. Okay, Gary, talk more about control mongers. That's in Chapter 4 of your book, when to walk away. Gary, go ahead. Yeah, that, and that was, again, that, that was huge for me, because as powerful as God is, and as right as God always is, I mean, we would know as believers that if we always did what God told us to do, we would be better off for it. And yet God speaks the truth and says, but it's your call if you want to follow me or not. Going back to Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. And Jesus speaking the truth to so many and then walking away when they didn't want to receive it. Even the rich young ruler, that wasn't a toxic situation, but Jesus told him, here's what you have to do if you want to be perfect. Sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. When the rich and Mueller walked away, Jesus didn't chase after him. He turned to his disciples and said, let me explain to you why it's so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in one of the gospels, this is so key, when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, it said, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. This was not a dispassionate thing. Jesus had great hopes for this person. Jesus thought, well, 
of this person. And, and so it wasn't just he, he's being mean or callous. He just is so strategic in his ministry that even somebody he cares about, if they're not willing to receive the truth, he's going to let him go and spend his time with people who will speak the truth. So again, to that the, the questioner that you had, I would say the way you walk away from an addict who's destroying himself is to find somebody who's actually in recovery, somebody who wants the encouragement, somebody who will receive the help. And then you just hope that the addict will eventually come around. But until then, find reliable people to invest in. And there I'm basically quoting Paul in 2 Timothy 2.2 when he said to Timothy, that's what you should be doing. Focus on the reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. All right. Now, Gary, I need to take a little break, but uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds. Gary Thomas is my guest. He's written a book called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. If you have a question, let us know. Text only 877-933-2484. Be right back. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. Gary Thomas is my guest. He's written a book called When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. Gary, I should have booked you for like three hours. I'm sorry. I'd be happy to come back in the future, though. Well, no, now we have that on record, so you are going to come back. So I've got that on tape. All right, let's go back to toxic people. How do we stand up to them? Well, I found the best thing to do is what Jesus did and what Paul so often did and what the Apostle John, even the, John the Apostle loved urged people to do, is that we just avoid and we walk away. We don't have to play their game. What I've warned Christians about is that toxic people are better at being toxic than we are in handling them. They've been toxic most of their lives. They have an agenda. We're trying to play a different game. We want to see positive fruit done. Toxic people don't, and that's why I think – that's why we have to walk away. What opened my eyes is that for a toxic person, a peaceful office setting where people are getting their work done, encouraging each other is boring. A mutually encouraging, supportive marriage where there isn't a lot of drama, there's not a little, a lot of undercutting, not slander. That's boring. Uh, and a in a family gathering where everybody's just swapping stories and encouraging the young or, you know, giving honor to the older or something, that's boring. They live for the divisiveness, for the drama, for malice, for anger, for rage. And, and, and so I, I basically found it's best just not to play their game because you won't win. And as far as they're concerned, if you're playing their game, it feeds them. Even if they're not stopping you from doing what God has called you to do, they're distracting you. Mm-hmm. And I've also found that I'm so weak. I'm never more tempted to be toxic than when I'm interacting with a toxic person. They control me. I want to control them. They try to slander me. I want to slander them. And so I found Jesus' wisdom and Paul's wisdom in walking away is often best because we have two different aims in life. Our aim is to seek first the kingdom of God, to encourage, to love, to serve. They want to sow division, hatred, anger, and malice. And so basically we should just say... I don't have time for this. I'm going to walk away. So, Gary, what are what are some characteristics of a toxic person? Might they be liars? 
manipulators. Oh, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. Colossians 3 has a list, I believe, that defines toxic people, and lying is one of that. It's Colossians 3, 11 through 12, anger, rage, malice, slander, lying, and filthy language okay. is one of the lists that Paul would use. And, and the reason that's so key is that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, mm-hmm. and the life. And, and, and so toxic people, they, they often will lie. They, they will use gaslighting. That's a, a favorite thing. And if people don't know what gaslighting is, it means you make somebody feel like they're crazy for stating what is true and obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody calls them out on a sin, oh, how could you think that? Why would you think there's something wrong with you that your mind would even go there? And so you lose your sense of peace. You lose your sense of self-confidence, and, and the danger of that is then you feel like you have nothing else to give to other people. And, and when a toxic person assaults you so that you lose your joy, somebody says, well, Gary, doesn't it seem selfish that I'm worried about losing my joy, except for the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our our strength. Mm-hmm. And so they make you weak. And so if if I could give the listeners anything, it's a vision of what God can do through them. Because the message we carry is so precious, the reconciling power of God to bring grace and love and salvation to everyone, and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not our gifts. It's not our understanding, our wisdom, our charisma. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. If we could get a grasp of what it means and how God could use us to seek first his kingdom, as Jesus calls us to, then we'll realize we just don't want to get distracted with playing the little petty games that toxic people force us into. If you talk to a toxic person in an argument for an hour, here's the thing. They're not going to change, and you're going to walk away and very likely be haunted from that encounter for the next few hours just thinking, have I lost my mind? Am I going (laughs) crazy? And, and, And that's why I think, no, just focus on the offense. Do what God has called you to do and be willing to walk away from those that just really aren't prepared to receive God's truth. Mm -hmm. All right, Gary, how do you keep a tender heart when you're in this unhealthy relationship and you know you should love, but what you really want to do is build some kind of healthy boundary to keep yourself from falling into this trap? Yeah. It's very clear, I believe, from Scripture that I need to want the best for everyone. Rather than defeating an enemy... I wish I would have one more fellow worker in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. There are not enough of us. So I'm not going to waste time trying to tear down a toxic person. I'm not going to slander them. Um, my job isn't to find slander or toxic people and call them out and warn everybody about them. Uh, the analogy I use is more like this. If I'm driving to a very important appointment and there's litter along the road, I'm not going to stop and pick up every piece of litter. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. But if there's a tree lying in the middle of the road, then I've got to get out and move the tree so I can keep going forward. So invest in healthy relationships. Do the ministry and work that God has called you to do with the people that God has called you to do it with. You ignore the attacks of toxic people. You ignore the accusations of toxic people. If there comes a time when they block what you're doing and you have to confront them, you do so. But then you drive on. You don't look in the rearview mirror. You don't let them haunt you. You just figure, okay, I've got to get them out of the way. 
not because I hate them, not because I want ill will for them. I hope eventually they'll see the light and become a worker in God's kingdom and spread love instead of hate. But until they do, they're in my rearview mirror, and I'm looking ahead to the people God has called me to reach. You know, Gary, when you deal with toxic people, normal appeals to them usually don't work, do they? No, they don't. And the reason is they don't think they're the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had an adult tooth pulled a couple months ago because I had a a root canal that went bad and they kept getting infection underneath. I said, Gary, you got to take it out. And it was terrible. As an adult to have a tooth pulled, it feels like they're pulling your jaw up through your eye socket. I don't know if anybody... Plus it's, they're making, you know, three stooges noises that are trying to pull it out of your mouth. Yeah. And if, if somebody would have woken me up, strapped me to a chair and did that, I would have been screaming (laughs) bloody murder. I would, I want him to jail. I'm going to call the cops. I paid the guy $900 to do that to me. (laughs) Why? Because I knew I had an infection. I I could see on the x-rays. I've got an effect. If you don't think there's an infection in you spiritually trying to confront them or share them, it, it doesn't help. Telling a toxic person that what you said just hurt me is like feeding a rhinoceros. They want more. They're like, oh, now it's getting fun. I found my next victim. And, and so the normal methods of working with a toxic person, they don't usually respond to shame. They feel no shame. They don't respond to feelings that you hurt me because that's kind of their goal. And so that's why often walking away is our best response because you can't win in that game. If God hasn't prepared their heart, there's not going to be conviction. And my my four words that I say in the book now is no conviction, no counsel. I'm looking for the people that God has prepared. If he hasn't, I'm not going to be able to break through because evangelism isn't just sharing truth, as important as that is. It's seeing God's work. And the same thing is within the church, because there are a lot of toxic people. And I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to overstate it. But there are some toxic people in the church. And if they aren't walking in a place of repentance and openness to God's voice, uh, confronting them will just make them what Jesus said, turn and tear you to pieces. How dare you? And then they're going to make you their enemy and figure out ways to talk you down and ask people to start praying for you because you probably lost your mind or, you know, whatever they say. And they will try to bait you into believing that, you know, that as you're talking about their toxicity, that they're going to make it about you versus even dealing with their own toxicity. I don't know if I asked that question correctly or made the statement well, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's it's a great point. If you read through the book of Nehemiah, it's a whole chapter in the book. They used everything. They pretended to be his friend. Then they asked, we're giving you a warning. Then they had a ridiculous threat. You know what? You just want to make yourself king of Jerusalem. People remember Nehemiah is the one who built the wall around Jerusalem when the second temple, after the second temple had been built. They, they tried everything, and then they said, okay, we're going to bring in other people. So they're gossiping about it. They tried four or five approaches because it goes back to them being control mongers. Toxic people are determined, you will do what I want you to do. I'll pretend to need you. If being needy doesn't help, I'm going to threaten you. If threatening doesn't help, I'm going to pretend I'm helping you. If that doesn't help, I'm going to bring in others who will bring pressure on oh, you. Gary, and I, that's why we have to have our sense of mission. Yeah, i got to have you back because it's only Monday and you'd be my MVP of the week right now. <laughs> Seriously, this is so interesting. Would you come back soon? Absolutely. Okay, good. I'd be happy to. All right, then we'll just continue. 
Uh, Gary Thomas has been my guest. When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People is his book. We'll take a short break. Be back in a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Oh, it's so nice to welcome back to the program Dr. Rebecca Reese. She is an author and a blogger. She grew up in Puerto Rico, Puerto, Puerto Rico. I got to say that correct. As a daughter of missionaries, she's undergrad at Yale, studied Hebrew at Yale Divinity School, master's in art and religion, and her PhD in religion and literature at Boston University. I could make it really short and say Rebecca's really awesome. Go read her blog. Rebecca, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... You know, I love your blog, and every time I go there, I get challenged, and I get sometimes teary-eyed, and I always get moved. You always do such a nice job. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple of things on the blog, and one was called Silver Glasses, which I would love for you to tell our listeners about. Okay. Well, that was the most recent blog that I put up, and um, that started with an observation that sometimes we can feel alarmingly bad, even <laughs> when there's no cri- no crisis happening externally. Mm-hmm. Um Especially if we cultivate a habit of traveling inward to see what's going on inside. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Anne Lamott. I am not. She has um, well, she's a she's a spiritual writer, and um, she has this uh, very funny and astute um, observation. She said, "My mind is like a dangerous neighborhood. I try not to go in there by myself." <laughs> <laughs> and so I find introspection to be a very useful and um, Something we should do uh, to do quite a bit, actually, but we have to be um, careful when we do it. And so every Sunday when I'm trying to take a Sabbath day off, I try to journal a little bit to check in and see what's going on inside. And so I did that um, more recently, and um, I slammed up against something that I frequently slam up against, but this time it was um, a little bit different. And um, I, I talk about that in my blog called Silver Glasses. So... Um, I've, I've talked about this before in previous um, uh, talks with you, which was I've, I had a very difficult and abusive relationship with my fa- my now late father mm-hmm. growing up. And um, so I sl- the thing I slammed up against was this equation that's um, sort of been imprinted upon me, upon my soul since I was a child, which is, and, and I'm sure on everyone, um, any, anyone who's had a, a, a difficult relationship with their parent, which is I equate emotionally what I, what happened between my earthly father and me um, with what happens with my heavenly father and me. That's just sort of an emotional equation that's inside of me and been imprinted upon me. And thankfully, I've gone through a lot of um, inner healing about that. So there are things I can uh, do and say and remind myself of to um, get around, work around that problem. But it really is kind of my default that I go to. It's because it was from a very young age. That's um, just this side of heaven, something that um, has been left a deep impression upon me. So I was journaling about something on one of these Sundays where I go into that dangerous neighborhood and find myself. <laughs> and um, I slammed up against that equation again, only this time I was I was asking God the question of, you know, what do you want from me as a writer? Uh, I'm a writer. I'm kind of, you know, it would be helpful for me to know what do you expect from me? I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Um, 
I'm, I'm slamming up a kind of a, against a, a, br- a brick wall here. Only this time, there was something on the other side of that brick wall that I, I, I broke through to that I'd never broken through to before, which was um, my father didn't particularly show um, special interest in his children in terms of what their unique gifts were, um, how they were formed and uniquely designed as individuals, what their destiny might be. Um, he, he didn't really have a capacity to, to have um, pursue those interests in us as individuals. And um, what I came up against this particular time when I was journaling about that was that that disinterest um, kind of equaled rejection. And I'd never really thought of being rejected by my dad before. So that was something kind of novel to me. And um, on the one hand, I thought, well, maybe that was a good thing because if if someone is mistreating you, you don't even, you don't actually want to be an object of interest to that person. But when you're dealing with that primal relationship between a parent and a child, there's no way that there can be rejection there and it not be profoundly painful um, for the child um, on some level. I mean, you just have to be honest and acknowledge that fact. And so... I was kind of picturing myself. I've had that abuse kind of stamped on my forehead um, for a long time now, and that's something that God has really brought a lot of healing for. But now I had this new stamp on my forehead, and it just said rejected. So in my mind, I was walking around with this label on my forehead, and there was something kind of niggling at me, like a, like a pebble in my shoe as I walked around with this mental image. And I think that's so often what the work of the Holy Spirit is like. I think that when we're struggling with something that's deeply painful to us, the Holy Spirit doesn't um, erase that struggle, and he doesn't um, override the hard thing that has surfaced. I think more often he asks us to hold something that he's trying to show us alongside of of that hard thing. He asks us to consider something that he's um, saying to us right next to it. I think that's often how he works. So for me, it was this. It was the story of how I got the silver glasses that I wear. So I said, I want you to think about this. So I started to think about how I got my silver glasses. So let's back up a few weeks ago. Okay. I went to the, I went to the price club where I wanted to get a new pair of glasses. And I was wearing a pair of silver glasses um, that I have on my face. And I said to the optician, you know, do you have a, a, another set identical to these glasses? I love these glasses. They're my favorite pair I've ever owned. Do you have them? So she went on the computer and started to check the inventory. And she said, you know, we don't have another pair. She said, why don't you go over to the, you know, the wall, the display, and see it. there's a ton of plastic glasses. Why don't you go and see if maybe you'll find something that you like? So I'm thinking, you know, I don't think so, but, you know, I, you never know. So I went over <laughs> and I went through the thousand glasses that they have there. Literally you thousands, never, you, yeah. Right, and of course, you take off your glasses, so you really don't even know what you're looking at because everything's a big blur. So um, I did went, went through the exercise and uh, came back, and I was empty-handed, and she was empty-handed. So um, I said, you know, I really like these Um Maybe, you know, what we should do is just reuse them and, and you could put the new prescription in them and, you know, that's what we should do. Um, and so I kind of, we sat down at the counter and she started to, you know, make up the new order for the new lenses. And I kind of told her the history of how I had bought them. I said, you know, last spring I had to go to a fancy wedding, a dress up wedding, and I had just had 
um, a procedure done on my eye, my cornea, and I didn't want to wear contact lenses to this fancy wedding, so I wanted to buy a pair of kind of um, jewelry-like lens uh, eyeglasses so that I could feel comfortable going to this fancy wedding, So, which is why I bought these glasses. So she took them from me, and she turned them over in her hands, and she said, you know, I remember these glasses coming in. She said, when they came in, they came in in three different colors, silver, gold, and brass. And she said, I remember that the silver ones sold out immediately, and um, there was only one pair of them. And that must have been you that got them. Wow. <laughs> so I thought, oh. And this is now, now, so this is an eyeglass center that's in one of those price club type stores. So it gets a lot of traffic. Yeah. I mean, it's a very difficult, I mean, a very, very busy place. You would think their so, inventory would be huge, right? Yeah. And it, yeah. And it just, and so, it's, but, she, but she told me, she said there was only one pair of these glasses and they sold out immediately. And she even asked one of her colleagues, she said, do we have any silver glasses and any other silver glasses in stock? She said, you know, I haven't seen any and not for quite a while. So that was kind of just an interesting little, you know, story that happened. We were just chatting, and she put in my order. And um, as I drove home, you know, I, I thought about what we'd been saying. And um, I thought about two things. I thought, first of all, that's a very busy place, and somebody else could have so easily snapped up those glasses. And then I thought, and the other thing is, there are more than one optician that works there. There's like a whole crew of them. And somebody else could have helped me that didn't know anything about these glasses, the history of them. So it was like as I was driving home, you know, the it was like a little pebble got dislodged from my shoe. <laughs> I, and I saw that that little pebble that, you know, I'd been walking around in and that had been sort of niggling at me to think about was like a little diamond. And it was like a little gem that was supposed to address the hurt and the rejection that I had been feeling inside at this label that had been stamped on my forehead. It was like this little diamond that was saying, okay, the Holy Spirit was saying, now hold this little diamond up against that label. I want you to think about this. And what came to me was this, that someone wanted me to have these silver glasses, someone who knew how much they were going to bless me, someone who knew that um, when I have to get dressed up and go to fancy events, I tend to feel very insecure about my presence. So um, I needed to have just the right pair of glasses on my face. And someone who knows that I like to wear silver jewelry practically every day. Um, someone who also knew that eventually I was going to put two and two together and realize that although I may have been rejected by one father, I have been specially chosen by another father. And I've been chosen for a specific purpose and a specific destiny, even though I may not glimpse the whole of it yet. And this other father doesn't want me to what doesn't want to miss a single opportunity to interact with me, whether I am darting hither and yon in the open water or whether I'm, you know, struggling to breathe in the bottom of a fishbowl without <laughs> any water in it. Um, so I really had to think about that, and I thought, okay, so what, what's, what would be the new labels that are, you know, actually stamped on my forehead? And I came up with prized and special and loved. Mm. Those were like the, the – and, and then – but, Bill, I had, to, I had to think about those labels. That wasn't just like an automatic process. And, again, it wasn't like the Holy Spirit, like, erased the one and automatically, you know, some, something else appeared in its place. I feel like, you know, in this fallen world, we have to choose to do that work, just like maybe we have to choose to say, you know, even though it might have some unpleasant parts to it, journaling 
on, you know, on our Sabbath or checking in with God about those places that we routinely slam up against and, you know, have to face the hard truths of, um, we have to do that work. We have to choose to put on those silver glasses and, and look through them. Um, and maybe we have to ask other, you know, other people to help us do that when we're having a hard time because we dare to look at something dark and, and something we have a long history with we've struggled with and you know somebody that's going to be patient with us and say yeah i know you've been dealing with this a long time let me let me hear it one more time and and maybe we can you know god will show us something different so um i would say it's it's a tricky business i'm taking those looks inside because sometimes again there was no external crisis going on but i and i did have to face that new word rejection but um in the end i would say i'm i'm glad that i journaled that sunday and i feel like i came out with a little diamond. Boy, no kidding, Rebecca. What a great story and how God took you on this journey. And the pair of glasses that you wear and love, and by the way, look great on you, are (laughs) the pair that was a -a one-of-a-kind pair. They absolutely turned out to be a one. I even looked online for them. They gave me the numbers for them at the store. They said, you know, you can try to shop for them online, and I have not been able to find them. Wow, that's because they're Rebecca's glasses and Rebecca's glasses only. All right. Yeah. Let me take a let me take a little break. When we come back, I want to hear about pasta Jesus. Rebecca Ree okay. is my guest. Go to RebeccaRee.net to learn about her and read her wonderful blog. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E.net. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Rebecca Ree. She's been a regular guest on the show lately. And if you've not been to her uh, website and read her blog, you need to get there and get on her mailing list because her blogs are so wonderful. Though one we just talked about, her silver glasses, is on her blog. And one of her newest ones is called Pasta Jesus. And of course, that got my attention immediately. And as I read it, as I read it, Rebecca, I was completely gripped, as I am with all of your stuff. And I uh, would love for you to tease our readers about Pasta Jesus. Yes, well, I'll, I'll assure everybody from the beginning, it's not that Jesus is made out of pasta, so of, of course um, we not. won't go there. No, of okay. course not. So let me start off by just asking a question. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you show up for a pop quiz and you're in your pajamas? Totally. Like, one of, yeah, like yeah. you're just so ill-prepared like, yes. for one of, the, one of those dreams. Yes. Okay, well, so I've been a Christian for, let's say, at least three decades at this point. So, you know, I've had a life of prayer, of developing spiritual practice, of living in Christian community, and you could argue I've even had some advanced degrees in Bible. I have, a, you know, a PhD in religion and literature. And I have to say, with all of that, it's been almost of no help to me (laughs) in teaching my seven-year-old autistic son about God. So I have basically shown up for my pop quiz with my son, and I'm in my my pajamas. I am standing there going, okay, how do Mm -hmm. we handle this one? (laughs) Gotcha. So um, I have needed something very simple and practical um, that will hit home for him in terms of explaining who is God, and specifically, who is God for him? So that's where Pasta Jesus comes into the picture. I was at the dollar store, and when I'm at the dollar store, I usually um, 
stroll down the toy aisle because you never know. With with my son, I often need motivators to help teach him how to do things or or to do them at all. And so I often have a little stockpile of things that I keep hidden in my house so I can like pull something out to help motivate him to do something. And so I happen to catch um, sight of this uh, little Jesus figurine. And um, I liked his expression because so many times you see Jesus either in paintings or figurines, and he's either um, looking like he's about to recite, like, the phone book, or he's, like, that perfectly oiled ringlet, or he looks, like, kind of creepy, like, no, nobody would want to sit next to in a movie theater or on a park <laughs> bench. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just, just one of those. But this looked like, you know, good old, wholesome, regular Jesus guy, you know, just <laughs> and, he, and he was the perfect size. He could fit in the palm of, of one's hand, which is where he mostly resides now. He sits on our dining room table. And whenever we um, say grace before a meal, we put pasta Jesus in my son's hand and we sing a very simple song. And then my son says, amen. But his version is actually amen. Yeah. And then we and then we eat. So uh, but basically, he is a plastic object that goes in my son's hand, and, and my son eats pasta every night for dinner. Hence, we call him Pasta Jesus. So to my son, he is a piece of plastic that he is put in his hand before he consumes carbohydrates. That is <laughs> Pasta Jesus. So, um, <laughs> um, and because um, my son loved marinara sauce on his pasta, he, uh, Jesus's white robes have gotten quite. Uh, red at this point. So he is, you know, the people's Jesus. He doesn't mind getting messy. Um, This is pasta Jesus. And um, it's very, I figured, you know, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. But um, so it's helpful to have pasta Jesus because, you know, my son is is getting an idea that it's, it's good to give thanks before we eat. But I am under no illusions how huge the gap is between this little plastic figurine and who Jesus really is. Mm -hmm. I'm under no illusions about that. And um, as I contemplate this, you know, this chasm, um, I, between, you know, the real Jesus and pasta Jesus, I've noticed there's this hard little knot of anger inside me. And I think that um, something in me that actually, you know, blames God for my son's autism um, sees no point in asking for God's help with this. It's almost like, and I'll read you a little quote from the blog, why stand in line with all the other suckers waiting for a handout from one who just as easily rains curses as blessings upon his hapless children's heads? And um, somebody might say, how can you claim to be a Christian and and say something like that. I mean, how can you say, you know, it's God's fault your son has autism? How can you even think such things and and say you don't even want to bother asking, you know, God to help reveal himself to your son um, because, you know, you're, you're so angry about this? Um, but I feel like no matter how long we've been believers, no matter how long I, I was talking about before the, the life of Christianity that we try to cultivate about prayer and community and, and spiritual practice, there will always be pockets of unbelief that remain in us um, that are usually tire, uh, tied to bewilderment and pain. Um, in certain corners of our soul, we are the ones that are clutching 
the pasta Jesus while the other people around us are singing. And we are the ones on one side of that gap while the other people are the ones with the faith and the belief and the knowledge. Uh, and maybe in those corners of our soul where, where we're clutching the plastic doll, we have stopped believing that anything good will ever happen to us again. That is how profound we're hurt and we're bewildered and we're grieving some kind of loss, the way that my husband and I often grieve and struggle with our, with our son having autism. So the question becomes then, um, what do we do with those parts? What do we do with those parts that um, are, as you could say, unknowing of God and unbelieving of God as my son currently is um, in his, at, at where he is right now with, with Jesus and his knowledge of Jesus. And I would say maybe three things, simple things, small things. We, we don't talk about small things on our blog. And this, for the first, first thing I would say, for heaven's sake, have mercy on yourself. You know, don't berate the little atheist that's within you. Because there's probably a really good reason why he or she exists. Like, my son's autism is no joke. There's a reason my, my husband and I struggle really hard with it. Um, and the, there is, it's, it's no joke whatever deficiency is within you, whether it's a deficiency of faith, of, of vision, um, whether, you know, you're struggling with grief or loneliness, whatever it is, it's no joke. And there's a real reason why, you know, you're struggling with, uh, with it. You didn't ask, you know, for that. He didn't ask for his faulty wiring in his brain, and you didn't ask for whatever deficiency is in your life. So don't berate that part of yourself. Have mercy um, to begin with. Um, that, was the, that would be the very first thing I would suggest. And then the second thing I would suggest is um, get help in, in the sense of find someone who can put something very simple and practical in your hand. Don't try to do this by yourself. Um, I would no more expect my son to be able to take first steps towards faith and believing in God by himself from where he is in his beginning point than I would expect someone struggling with, you know, blaming God for something really hard in their life, because that's how it seems like, wow, you have control over this, but yet you allowed it to happen. Well, if you're, that's where you are in your faith and that's how it seems to you emotionally, you need to, you need some help with that. Um, you need some support with that. Um, you know, so get somebody who's going to walk alongside you with that. And on, on as a sidebar, you might even want to find an image of Jesus that you like and that you speaks to you, that speaks to you to remind you of His presence through this process. You might want to go to the dollar store and find your own. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Every little bit counts, you know. Mm -hmm. And and the third thing is, um, be patient. You know, when we read the love chapter in First Corinthians 13, the first two. Love is patient. Love is kind. Those are the, that's how I'm trying to be with my son. I think if anything else, if I, if when he looks up in my face and he sees patience and he sees kindness, well, maybe that's the strongest and most compelling demonstration of who Jesus is that I can give him at this point. If, if words are not the medium that he uses, you know, so I would say, you know, be patient with yourself, be kind with yourself. There is a reason why you're not understanding. You're on one side of that chasm and um, the faith you want to have in God, the understanding you want to have is on the other. Um, so just understanding that in all of us, there is a place where we are 
um, the autistic child, maybe if you want to say that, in our faith. And we need to be very loving and go gently with that part of ourselves. Rebecca, it seems like such a challenge because you need to be reflecting something to your son that says joy and calm and happiness when maybe internally you're feeling a little anxiety and restlessness. Oh, more than a little. And that's okay. why that's why the body of Christ becomes so important. Just this morning, I went to um, a prayer group that my, my church has on Friday morning and let a group of women lay hands on me and pray for me because I can't do this by myself. And what I don't want to vent on my son is some, I bring it somewhere else. And they help, they help me carry that this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage yeah. all of the listeners to go to uh, Rebecca's website, Rebecca Ree, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E.net. Enjoy her blog, but then also pray for her when you go there. Just make it a point to say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord lifting Rebecca and her family up. I know that would be uh, the most wonderful thing you could do is enjoy her writing and then to uh, pray for the family. Oh, thank you so much. That would be such a blessing for us. Yeah, I I would encourage everyone to do that. And again, Rebecca, every time you, you come on, I you're such a magnificent storyteller. And I just, your writing is beautiful and poignant and you do it so well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is absolutely my joy and my honor. Terrific. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. Again, RebeccaRee.net. That's R-H-E-E. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, I'm so grateful that we get to spend this time together, that uh, when, when, it meet, when we get to meet and be together and do this, this is outstanding. I just love it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending me notes when you do. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.